Welcome to episode 14 of Storm the Norm, the fortnightly podcast where we pick up norms that come in the way of businesses succeeding in a disruptive world. I'm Narayan. And I'm Anisha Motwani. Anisha, I'm jumping ahead a bit, but today's episode is, in a way, a continuation of a thread we explored with Mohit Malhotra, the CEO of Tabar, in our last episode. Why do you say that? Well, in the last episode, we spoke about what keeps Indian brands from succeeding globally. In today's episode, the norm we want to storm is on the Indian startup ecosystem. Specifically, Indian startups are at best clones of their global counterparts, and perhaps that could very well be their biggest obstacle in realizing their potential. So what you're saying is Indian startups are not in the same league and they're at best copycats. I guess so. When you put it like that, I think you can't miss the similarities with the previous episode. Though we were not talking about brands not being copycats there, we were talking about why they can't succeed globally. And here we are talking about why Indian startups uh, are not able to succeed in their own market and make it then globally as well, make it big globally as well. Uh, so there is a subtle difference between the two. But you are right, absolutely, because when you look at multiple categories, fintech, e-commerce, travel, hospitality, mobility, they all seem like clones of existing Western models. Let me push this question a little further about what uh, are the obstacles in their path, right? And, and I'm going to break it down because it's going to be a mouthful into two or three different questions. You know what further this obscures? Mm-hmm. First, it obscures the possibilities of exploring the immense possibilities that a market like India, as large and as diverse as India offers. But obviously, you need original ideas to be brought to fruition with scale for that. The second, it obscures the fact that the pockets of talent, tech and infrastructure we have in India where startups can succeed, that's very limited. Yeah, Bangalore and Gurgaon. Exactly. And the third piece is because of these two, it obscures the fact that venture capitalists might balk at putting the bets on India, despite the huge market potential. Sure. It makes me think, for all that India has been one of the foundational civilizations in the world and contributed such great original thoughts and ideas that still underpin much of how we live, why haven't we been able to lead from the front on this one? I don't want to lose sight of the fact that external factors such as government policies, the socio-political climate, cultural differences, these can all play a role, I know that. But without unique and scalable models, indeed, how can the Indian startup ecosystem even think of becoming a viable alternative to Western ones? Thankfully, we don't have to answer all of those questions ourselves because we have as our guest expert today, one of the most eminently qualified people to storm the norm. Please welcome Mr. G.V. Ravi Shankar, who is a Managing Director of Sequoia Capital India. I would first like to welcome you on board. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Anisha, Narayan, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Uh, You know, I've enjoyed your previous ones and hopefully this is a good one too. And you guys have picked up a very interesting topic, I should say. And, uh, you know, uh, I'd love to add uh, my perspective to this uh, when we get started. We all know that most Indian startups are prone to actually emulate successful global ideas, by and large just fine-tuning existing business models to serve the local needs. So we know that there's an Ola for Uber and there's a Ghana for Spotify, there is an Oyo Rooms that followed Airbnb and Flipkart of course followed Amazon. 
So while India has provided a nurturing ground to numerous startups, and we've seen that across business models and categories now, but what we normally notice is that these are variations of the global counterparts. What's your perspective, Chief? Uh, kind of markets, businesses, and you know, more general human beings and their needs. Uh, it tends to be somewhat similar across geographies, but it tends to lag, uh, and many times it may rhyme with something in another geography. And the reason it may lag is because, as you are all well aware, you know, some markets are, you know, relatively more developed markets and richer markets where consumers have gotten to these needs. Uh, and and um, uh, kind of started enjoying some of the benefits earlier than markets which may be developing like like India, and there is always a certain level of ecosystem maturity that may be required and a purchasing power that may be required for some of this to come to life. So, in many ways, uh, you know, the examples that we picked up, let's say uh, Ola for Uber or uh, uh, Flipkart for Amazon, are following global norms, but it's also because there is a time when these uh, when these types of models are more applicable to India, the need is the same. And the, if the solution that has worked in other markets uh, is a good solution, is probably the more efficient solution to address a particular need, chances are that Indian founders, if they you know, come across it, may believe that similar thing will work for India. And, you know, which is why sometimes uh, while with a lag, uh, we start something here. And many times it looks like the same, but as we peel the onion, you would also realize there are many things that we have to do for India are quite different from what may have worked in the global markets. And a similar example in Flipkart and, and uh, Amazon would be, you know, Flipkart was the first probably globally to introduce cash on delivery, right? Which is again, a very uniquely Indian need because, you know, people in India did not use credit cards that widely. And, uh, you know, uh, and there was a trust factor which we had to overcome. So cash on delivery allowed for people uh, to kind of uh, order, get it, and then pay for it. So they, they feel safe about it, right? So, uh, but both of them are satisfying a need, whether it's Ola or it's Flipkart, are satisfying a need which is global, which is either, you know, making uh, taxis available easily from a transportation perspective or making retail uh, available easily, uh, especially when India does not have that much organized retail relative to the West. It was a far greater, uh, you know, value prop for the Indian audience than the West. Uh, but, you know, that's the overall point, right, which is the needs are not that dissimilar, but the way the need is addressed may be slightly different and then companies adapt for it. So we call kind of some of these, uh, you know, things mutations, right? In some ways, it's like the world of biology, you have to mutate to uh, satisfy the need of this particular environment and companies do that quite successfully, which is why I think these companies have given a tough fight uh, to their global counterparts and continue to do so, right? So that's, that's the first part. The part where I disagree a little bit is I, I do think uh, these kind of end up becoming highlighted as the biggest successes uh, because some of these are globally the biggest success, uh, you know, uh, um, businesses. For example, Amazon is worth now, I don't know, one point something trillion dollars, 1.6, 1.7, I haven't tracked recently. Um, you know, uh, Uber uh, at IPO was worth, you know, 60, 70 billion, something in that range. And, you know, I don't know what it's trading at right now. But to, but these are big successes, you know, known globally. And so when the counterparts in India are kind of uh, coming up, then it becomes easy to identify them saying, hey, these are, these are kind of copycats or these are inspired by the, by the West. And they are, but uh, the th things that get less attention are India-specific innovations that we see, which again, because there isn't a global counterpart, maybe, you know, it takes time for them to become the ones that they become and get the, you know, uh, attention they deserve. deserve right? I'll pick up two examples. These are companies that I'm personally involved in. And with the caveat, these are Sequoia companies. Um, so I'm obviously biased uh, favorably towards them. But let's take a company like Baiju, right? Then we invested in Baiju in 2015. Uh, EdTech was an early 
uh, if if at all there was no trend, but it was an early kind of uh, thing that was picking up, and uh, we believed uh, that technology will have a significant impact on education. But if you look at the West, there are no examples of companies like Baidu that even today exist, right? Let alone in 2015. So there was no um, uh, you know Baidu type model, which is digital. Content-driven education, which were mostly asynchronous content that people can learn on their own pace. It existed in higher education in the form of MOOCs, but then there was nothing in uh, you know K through 12. And and you know obviously these were not at that point. It was not clear whether these things work because you know also and we'll come to this point later if you guys are interested. There's also a role VCs have to play in some of this, but I'll I'll touch upon that uh, you know later if we want to. But The point being, you know, when we did something like Baidu, there was no global counterpart. There were companies in China, but they were much more uh, taking offline tutoring online, which was very different from how Baidu was approaching this problem. So today, as a company that's kind of more recently raised money at ten billion dollars, it's become a company that is noted for uh, having been the first of its type anywhere in the globe, and that model has gotten accepted. And thanks to COVID. EdTech has gotten even more attention, and that you know, and this company finds itself as the global uh, one of the large global companies and a trendsetter of some sort uh, in that space. Right, so that's an example of where somebody has innovated for India, and there is a good reason why it's happened in India, or may have happened in somewhere in Asia, but certainly happened in India because the emphasis on education in India from parents is substantial, and people are willing to pay somewhat even out of the zone of what they think is affordability uh, to. Get access to good education for their children because that's our parents uh, made sure education uh, is kind of given to us uh, in a way that will help us uh, break out of the pack and be successful in life. Right. So I think there is a significant uh, focus on education, and that is why a company like Baidu can actually, you know, uh, not just have the valuation but also have real revenue scale in India and profits. Uh, so that's one one example. The other example I'll pick up where again something has happened in India. Uh, is a business called Rebel Foods, which is a multi-brand cloud kitchen company. Now, very interesting again that uh, this is the company that finds itself as the largest of its types anywhere in the globe, and the market is now recognizing cloud kitchen as a phenomena. And uh, you know, you are starting to see more investments not just in the developing markets, but also in the developed markets because they're figuring out, much like e-commerce is a more efficient model than offline retail, cloud kitchen model may be a more creative and efficient model compared to having offline restaurants. And again, thanks to COVID, where you know you're starting to see people are not able to go to restaurants. Cloud kitchens are there for the rescue, and companies like Rebel have thrived by you know launching the brands on some of these platforms and also on their own platforms. So again, this is an example where uh, we can call it leapfrogging because India's you know maybe the largest restaurant business, which is Domino's, uh, is still a relatively small uh, business uh, compared to you know what we see globally. And so some of this has not really happened elsewhere. And you know when we come later, kind of we come with more the latest. uh you know opportunities uh, that technology would allow you so uh, in that sense uh, uh that's another example of a india first model which we think will be a global model over time already rebel is present in the middle east uh they launched in indonesia and they have us you know uh just a pilot going on in uk and so we do believe that some of these can be global businesses so is byju uh byju's launching uh, in the north american market soon And uh, is already in the Middle East market, and over time he'll be in Southeast Asia and other markets because these models we think that work in India can sometimes work in other markets as well. It sounds to me like what you're saying is maybe we need to change the yardsticks of comparison itself. Maybe we should stop figuring out if we are on par with global ecosystems uh, yeah. as far as startups are concerned. For one, uh, even if that was the case, my uh, second part of my question is. Are we seeing the same number of big successes, unique successes, scaled successes that we are seeing around the world? 
uh, and if not then what's preventing us or what can take us there yeah no again good question um, you know what's the yardstick to measure success in some of this um, you know i remember asking this to darshan bhai who is the founder of vini cosmetics uh, uh, right. and, and kind of uh, saying hey uh when does he think a brand or a, or a product he launches is successful and he said look it needs to sell at least 1 crore units right i mean that's in this business the measure of success uh, and so you know every business will have a way of saying have we made a dent right so uh, in uh, let's say in take uh, take the case of byju um you know he has about 3 million uh, students paying customers uh, that he has and maybe a uh, 50 plus million people that have experienced the product in some form through the mobile app uh, that he launched so now those are getting to some level of numbers but still 3 million is probably a little over 1% of the you know population of school going children so we are really scratching the surface of what's possible when it comes to digital education in india right so um uh, you know uh, maybe something is uh, successful if we feel like we've really started uh, turning the tide for something to be a habitual product of some sort like if that becomes default that's every every company's dream can i be default in somebody's uh, life and you know that will be success but that's kind of a very high bar very few things are really uh, becoming default uh, in people's lives um uh, but, but that could be one measure of success right like am i moving the needle for enough of my customers that that need a solution like this um and you know some businesses are network effects so once you get to the tipping point then you know more people adopt that and and it naturally allows for scale like some things are just second nature you know today for example if i am ordering on amazon uh, you know i don't think of anything else and it becomes kind of your habit and the way you you shop right so i do think these things uh, happen over time and that that's the high bar for for measuring success now it, the other way to measure success is to say how much market cap has been created and 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 you know there it is a little bit of an unfair comparison to the west only because again the gdp that we have and the gdp they have is just kind of a, a fraction of some other country's gdp the size of businesses you will produce will also be somewhat of a fraction of what they have so if they have a 10 billion hit and we have a 1 and a half 2 billion hit we are still doing really well right in that sense you know we we need to kind of calibrate for the size of our markets but that does not mean we can't aspire to have global winners and globally successful companies and uh, some day a trillion dollar market cap company coming out of india because increasingly what technology is doing it's really uh, flattening uh, the world in, in a way that you know you could actually be sitting in india and create a business that you know works anywhere in the world right and and so if some of these businesses whether it's a uh, 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 byju or a rebel start succeeding in other markets then you will have the multinational version of the startup where you know indian companies can actually go and create something globally relevant and why can't the next big company sometimes it is about knowing what the horizon really is you know you need to know what is the world out there what is possible somebody has to set the bar high for you to also dream along i mean i am not the maverick who of you know been the guy who says look i've been told this but i will be something different there are such people and you know the elon musk of the world uh, you know we need many of them uh, but you know th- there are people who need to be shown saying what is possible right and and you know once you know something is possible you'll do it and this goes back to saying you know when people ran the first under 4 minute mile till then for many many years it wasn't considered possible then after it was done many many more people did it so you know did we just get stronger no i mean it's just something when it's known is possible more people will do it and similarly if we start seeing these global mnc's out of india that are this 500 billion dollar market cap some day i'm guaranteeing you there'll be many more that will follow right so this is an ecosystem thing this is where people help each other out there is a level of breaking those you know boundaries and going beyond and when other people do it you will start doing it and you know this is starting to happen for example in saas companies which are going global you know we have uh, examples of zoho and freshdesk that have done it 
now that are they have done it there are you know a dozen companies or more that are all kind of becoming global saas companies out of india and you know they know it's possible and they know you can deliver that and you can build that uh, scale of business so they are following suit so we need some of these people to be successful we need the success to be visible and celebrated and then more people will follow suit i think it's a matter of time you know we are super optimistic um, you know we don't believe uh, there is any reason why indian startups can't be global we just need to find a few successes So, Jimmy, let me pick it up and come to a completely contrarian uh, question uh, linked to this. You know, for every one that succeeds, there are ninety-nine that fail. What explains this? Why is it that many, many Indians are not able to take their dreams to success? My sense is, look, uh, you know, entrepreneurship is tough. The people that truly succeed in a way that it shows up in the newspapers and we all read about them—that's a very, very small proportion, right? And I'm not necessarily sure. we are winning less compared to other markets right you know for for what we say that there's number of startups in india but there are also so many more startups in the west or in china most markets are quite competitive you know so today ideas even if this was not a comparative analysis yeah, that we are looking yeah. at by itself sure sure there are there are a few points i want rates, yeah. yeah i, I want to touch upon a few points so first i do think being very successful in entrepreneurship uh, is a low probability event like we should just expect that to be low probability and that's the reason why if you look at investors also when we pick companies and we should expect the funded companies have a higher probability of success right but even within that a few companies matter and most other things do not matter right and and the reason i say do not matter is not that they've not become something but they've not become something large enough for it to really move the needle for anyone right so so even in businesses like ours if we make 100 investments there's a small proportion of them that really succeed and deliver most of the gains uh this is called the power law uh in in kind of our business it's called the power law which is to say typically 10% of our investments drive you know deliver 90% of all the gains it's even more skewed than the 8020 principle the pareto principle that we know uh some of this is again we made so many mistakes as investors that we we think of it as look there are always so many ways to get something wrong right you know sometimes the founder market fit is not right when i say founder market fit different from product market fit which is also another reason why you may not succeed we have to have the right type of founder meeting the right kind of market opportunity so that's one area where things can fail then there's the product market fit you know the solution that you come up with the product that you come out with does not find purchase in the market or does not find purchase at the price points that it makes you know this a viable business and going back to hence you know your buying customers etc typically this is what happens when you try to push the market faster than its natural rate of adoption right so if you take again an example of the taxi business in india right the reason you had to discount that is because if you have to you know get a large number of people to adopt taxis but if you i don't know the exact numbers let's say the break even to uh, make the taxi business work break even is 20 rupees a kilometer right when the the transportation you know costs in india if you take an auto is 7 or 10 rupees or 11 rupees a kilometer when if you have to sell a product at 20 rupees a kilometer that really you know stifles the size you know the the set of people that you can you can't really go behind the whole market so then what you end up doing to show the traction is you say okay let me get them habituated to this to this comfort and you know let's do this at 10 rupees a kilometer which by the way uber and ola were doing for a long period of time you know very aggressive pricing and discounted right that gives you a large market because more people now say hey this is more convenient and just a little bit more expensive or maybe equal to uh, auto why don't i take it right now that is trying to push the market to adopt your solution before the market is fully there in terms of the price at which the market will absorb at scale right so sometimes 
the failures we see are inability to keep this kind of a unnatural uh, push uh, towards adoption uh, going for a long period of time unless you have lots of capital so if you run out of capital which is the third reason people fail you you didn't have the capital to support your idea because you were either too early or your product market fit was not appropriate and so companies uh, stop funding so jivi uh, i think again you've covered so many points i'm still trying to wrap my head around those but I'll, maybe we can wrap this up um, asking for your take on three questions uh, sure. one is what is the one yardstick i should use to check if i will succeed or not the second is what the thing that i should absolutely not do if i was to success sustainable success and the third is possibly what is the one thing i should definitely do you know i almost feel like i have a single answer for all three uh, <laughs> <laughs> um you know if you think about people that have succeeded um you know every every time when a success is spoken about it feels uh, like overnight success because it makes for a good narrative right but probably the single uh, biggest thing that uh, people should think about when they enter this is do you have the grit to go through what it takes to be successful because this is not likely to be a linear journey it is not a smooth curve it is not an exponential curve you know the way we think of uh, entrepreneurship because we are ending up mostly talking about and studying the successful ones right we don't you know are we not studying the 90 95% of the things that don't work or 99% of the things that don't work so there is this romantic notion that you jump in and then you know you're a unicorn and then you're this and that and so on right so i, I do think what you need hence is a, a very well prepared mind to say i've got to go in and i'm going to you know uh, have the grit to hang in there to uh, be patient until the market comes to me or or i get to a point where i become a sustainable business it is not a easy journey so to me if we look at what we look for we look for grit and determination um, and and part of why you will have it is you should have a whole lot of passion for the problem that you're solving right anisha in many ways gv did what mohit also did in the previous episode didn't he i loved how he questioned the fundamental framework of comparison between indian and western startup ecosystems and the ease with which he dismantled this way of thinking and then enumerated each of the factors underpinning the success or failure of indian startups with their unique characteristics there are such powerful insights to be unpacked from what gv said you know it's so true we see so many professionals wanting to move out of the corporate world to become entrepreneurs and the starting point is i do not like what i am doing i don't want to be here so if your starting point is not that you want to do something that you are passionate about but it is something that you don't want to do and you are escaping something and this seems like an easy option you need to think hard yeah i think a startup first needs to be start right not start <laughs> wrong right yeah well, what about you anisha what stm hacks do you have for listeners this time around and what insights and pointers can the indian startup ecosystem use to storm this norm well i have five hacks as usual i'm all yours <laughs> i think the journey of a startup from a possibility to a certainty is a tough one okay you need to really persevere with a lot of passion to be able to see that through and it's not just passion that gets you there it is a lot of smarts and ingenuity okay mm. to make your idea move from a pie in the sky idea to a full blown boots on the ground business requires all kinds of smarts 
converting your idea to reality needs you to help others understand your vision mm. it's not just that you should understand your business idea how do you convince others selling vision is much like selling change okay and change is dynamic there are so many moving parts all the time mm. you don't have anything finite and tangible in your hand when you're trying to convince people okay so you have to first sell your idea clearly defining your value proposition and how it can generate revenue right from early upfront stages becomes very important selling lofty ideas without understanding how it will achieve financial results will never get you the right audience or the right buy in so don't just have a value proposition have a valuable business proposition exactly exactly okay what's the second one many entrepreneurs develop strategies opportunistically without a frame of reference because they are starting from scratch and when it comes to scaling up they take a similar ad hoc approach mm. to building their organization they find formal structures and processes as bureaucratic threats to their entrepreneurial journey they also worry about losing speed control and team intimacy knowing when to transition from an informal organization to a well governed structure with clearly defined roles is a key inflection point for startups to scale and transition to mature firms mm. Mm-hmm. and that means hiring professionals who could be better than you empowering them okay be willing to relinquish control defining processes and systems putting a governance structure in place all those are very critical you know points that startups once they achieve a minimum critical mass need to make that journey and transition as they may end up paying a steep price chaotic operations and unpredictable performance i couldn't agree with you more i mean madness is great to creating disruption but you need method to scale and succeed so you have to be disruptive obviously but you also have to be disruptive there is a method in the magic you know yep every founder yearns and aspires to make his or her startup a unicorn and there's absolutely nothing wrong with having such an aspiration but first and foremost entrepreneurs need to focus on creating tangible value for the customer and you know what i have a hack within a hack here mm. one filter mm. that you need to apply to your value proposition is is your business creating new spends for the customer or is it shifting spends mm. Mm. let's not forget that the customer's wallet is finite mm. so if you are able to move him from shifting his spends from x to y and your proposition is strong enough to make him switch to you that's when you know that you've created a valuable proposition hmm. valuation is just an outcome of creating a strong value proposition the next one is the success of a startup is just an adjustment away the market is volatile the customer is dynamic and the world at large is changing at an unprecedented pace So why is your business static? Mm. Being adaptable and modular in your approach and knowing when to pivot is key to staying consistently relevant and thriving. Mm. The the biggest mistake that we make is we get so wedded to our idea and we get so locked in that we start actually just so becoming inward focused and not paying attention to how the external world is changing. That you will see that the world has moved on but your ideas remain there mm. yeah i mean it seems a little ironical you started by disrupting 
you're definitely not going to stay by being static. static. Right? And so well said. Right. So, so well said. And, and the other point that you said, right? We're not asking you to change constantly. We're asking you to be relevant constantly. Be relevant constantly. Absolutely. Okay. And the last one, I think one can't just undermine the importance of this one enough. Startups live and die by their collaborations. Mm -hmm. As a small company with big dreams, startups need all the help they can get. Mm -hmm. Whether it's their own team working together as a tight-knit unit, relationship and support from VCs, leveraging personal and professional networks, collaborating with smart vendors, engaging and enabling consumers to help spread the word, or formal alliances with like-minded businesses. All of it is key to surviving. Mm -hmm. Now and again, you will see that these relationships develop into bigger partnerships and that end up having a major influence on the success of a startup. So, networking can make the difference between a startup not working <laughs> or succeeding at scale. Yes, pithily captured as usual, Naren. And insightfully hacked as usual, <laughs> Anisha. Okay, let me recap the five SCN hacks once more for everyone. First, don't just have a value proposition, have a valuable business proposition. Second, be disruptive and disciplined. Third, always choose value creation over valuation creation. Fourth, be adaptive to change in order to thrive. And finally, don't just scale your ideas, scale your networks to succeed at scale. And if I'm offer a bonus in the context of the norm we stormed mm -hmm. in the first place, don't bother about comparing yourself with global counterparts. Well said. All right, then. I think that's a good place to wrap up episode 14 of Storm the Norm. There are now multiple places you can catch us on, on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and GeoSavin, all by just searching for Storm the Norm. And we're also on Sarigama Karma 2.0 devices on channel 453. This is Narayan. And Anisha. Signing off for now. We'll be back with a new episode shortly. Thank you and talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.